Good morning. Are we recording? Yeah. We are recording. Good morning, everybody. Um, Good morning. It's... Yep. No, I didn't know. It took me a while, but I got there. There we go. Uh, good morning. It's almost six in the afternoon. And good night. <laughs> and good night. Thanks for listening. What uh, is media majors? Yeah, it's you don't need a cohesive opening. Not at all. Hey, it's all freeform, baby. <laughs> hey, this is media majors. It's a it's a storytelling podcast about major media. And uh, every week, myself, Tom Lockney, and my wonderful co-host Liam Senior, how you doing? Uh, tell each other a true story from our preferred mediums. I like. The realms of video games and the internet, internet uh, culture. They're realms now? I just like movies and TV. <laughs> yes, oh, they're man. realms, and those are split into subregions. Oh, counties, even. The subregions are split into counties? Yes, it's, oh, a, it's, it's too an much. incredibly confusing system. I don't like it. Uh, and every week we center those stories around a theme, and this week that theme is, is treatment. Po- is poor, poor treatment. treatment. Uh, on November 10th, 2004, a live journal entry titled EA, The Human Story, was published anonymously by the user EA Spouse. <laughs> EA Spouse. Marry everything. <laughs> Quote, my significant other works for Electronic Arts, and I'm what you might call a disgruntled spouse. EA's bright and shiny new corporate trademark is challenge everything. <laughs> Wait, what? Challenge? What was that last word there? Because that's the sound. No, (laughs) the sound effect that they do. Challenge everything. Where this applies is not exactly clear. Churning out one licensed football game after another doesn't sound like challenging much of anything to me. (laughs) Fucking get them. It sounds like a money farm. To EA executives that happen to read this, I have a good challenge for you. How about safe and sane labor practices for the people on whose backs you walk for your millions? End quote. EA The Human Story chronicles the progression of abusive labor practices endured by the author's husband. It begins, like so many do, with promises that, while crunch, considered to be a normal part of the industry, is present at EA, it is well-managed and not as bad. How do you feel about working long hours? Asked in an interview. Specific details of what those hours are glossed over. Mild crunch begins. Eight-hour days, six days a week. That's also... That's, that's considered... Mild crunch is six days a week. You need... You need more than one day off. Then it accelerates, despite promises of the opposite, to 12-hour days, six days a week. Mm. Which, by the way, actually means 13, since you get an hour for lunch. Time specified is 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. And also, like, hey, lots of people don't take that full hour because of because of internal pressure and culture to, you know, eat quick, get back to work. This does not account for commute, either. It is also not uncommon for people to just sleep in an office, which is one of the most depressing things in the world. Then it got worse. Mandatory 12-hour days, seven days a week, with the occasional Saturday night off. Oh, well. For their trouble, these EA employees were not given overtime pay, comp time, or extra vacation or sick time, which is unbelievably evil. And And should be a crime. EA was the biggest publisher in the games industry at the time. They had the money to pay their employees. The letter ends by saying, quote, if I could get EA CEO Larry Probst on the phone, there are a few things I would ask him. What's your salary would be merely a point of curiosity. The main thing I want to know is, Larry, do you realize what you're doing to your people, right? Or you do realize what you're doing to your people, right? And you do realize that they are people with physical limits, emotional lives, and families, right? Voices and talents and senses of humor and all that. 
that when you keep our husbands and wives and children in the office for 90 hours a week, sending them home exhausted and numb and frustrated with their lives, it's not just them you're hurting, but everyone around them, everyone who loves them. When you make your profit calculations and your cost analyses, you know that a great measure of that cost is paid in raw human dignity, right? Right? End quote. Uh, before I get to the fallout of this letter, I want to provide additional context as we now know the identity of EA spouse. It's a known factor. Uh, she, has, she has spoken openly about this. I'm not like outing her identity. Erin Hoffman came forward and could speak more directly about what her husband and their relationship was like during this period. Crunch began on his second day of work. He rapidly lost 10 pounds and his team became uh, constantly ill. The two moved into an apartment 10 minutes away from EA so that they could spend his meal break together. Her husband wanted to quit, but had been given a $5,000 signing bonus that he could not pay back because, as mentioned earlier, he wasn't being paid overtime. Mm. At the time, EA's annual revenue was $2.5 billion, by the way. Well, criminals they are. Yeah. EA's spouse sparked an internal uprising, resulting in three class action lawsuits leveled against the company. It also inspired other game developers uh, uh, to level... Three other lawsuits against two other companies. I couldn't I couldn't find specifically which ones. Several significant employee reclassifications went to an effect as a result, such as the registering entry-level artists the entering uh, the registering of entry-level artists as hourly employees, thereby making them eligible for overtime pay. Additionally, she founded Game Watch, an industry watchdog meant to serve as an advocate for game devs. Cut to January 7th, 2010. Things are still not great. Game Watch is a mere two years away from shuttering in 2012. I also generally think that this was an era where a lot of mainstream visible culture is lying to itself about the state of things in the world. Uh, and then Rockstar Spouse is published. It's clearly recalling EA Spouse. So, like, I th that's the reason EA Spouse is not totally relevant, but, like, it, it sets the scene for games labor, and it, I don't know if Rockstar Spouse, that letter, would have... Uh, existed quite in the same way without EA Spouse. Like it is, yeah. it is a very important thing to bring up. It doesn't sound like it would. Though it's clearly recalling the EA Spouse, there are some key differences. One, this is a collective. It is designed the determined, devoted wives of Rockstar San Diego employees. Two, it's worded kind of strangely. This does not invalidate the claims made in the body, but I do think that it contributed to its reception, which was noticeably uh, less impactful than the than EA the Human Story. It's going for sort of like a legalese. Like, here's an example. Quote, Though it is presumed, this unfortunate circumstance is due largely to, an, to ignorance and unawareness of most with enlightened knowledge. Action must be taken to protect the rights of employees and those who depend on them. Like, that's kind of a... It's, it's a little harder to read. And so people more at the time were like, oh, these people can't even like write well or whatever. Versus, like, the EA spouse was like, this is first person. This is me telling, like, a personal anecdote. It's anecdotal. The sometimes obtuse language is brought up over and over and over in numerous journalistic pieces about the letter at the time, occasionally going to the point of ignoring the content and claims made within the letter. Though it is less specific than the EA letter, the thrust remains the same. Exploitative management is harming the lives of employees who are not fairly compensated despite the absurd revenue of Rockstar Games. 12-hour days, including weekends. Uh, despite this, some journalists actually go so far as to repeatedly suggest the position and claims therein are untrue, despite the fact that Rockstar had literally the year previous settled a lawsuit leveled in 2006 regarding unpaid overtime. Here's Steven Totillo writing for Kotaku, quote, 
while the charges of an anonymous blogger and the sentiments echoed below the post by anonymous commenters allegedly familiar with the workings of the studio must be met with skepticism. They don't have to be. The letter was clearly designed to evoke memories of 2004's EA Spouse, blah, 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 blah. So then he, then he mentions EA Spouse. Um, EA Spouse is such a better name than Rockstar Spouse. Uh, but by 2006, EA appe- appeared to change its ways, and Hoffman was praising the happiness of people who worked for the company. I looked for that. I don't. I'm not directly disputing his claim because, like, I couldn't find anything. But uh, I something tells me that 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 things aren't that much better at EA. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. The charges levied in the Rockstar Spouse post are unproven. We'll continue to follow this story as the veracity of the complaints, or lack thereof, comes more clearly into light. This is terrible journalism. This is objectively just, like, irresponsible, bad fucking journalism. The claims made in the Rockstar Spouse letter have been corroborated both at the time and since by former Rockstar employees, not anonymously, who laid the blame square at the feet of management, specifically higher-ups Dan and Sam Hauser. One such corroboration involved comparing company to management to the Eye of Sauron. By the way, that's one of the ones that was not anonymous. So, like, he... <laughs> Nerds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> something Rockstar then jokingly added wallpapers to download from its site uh, that make a, that made a visual reference to the company being an all-seeing eye, which is, which is totally something a company that gives a shit about these allegations would do. Good move, Rockstar. It was reported on again by Kotaku as Rockstar has some fun with Eye of Sauron comment. Still will not comment. Good job, Kotaku. They're having so much fun with their these allegations of labor abuse. Uh, and like not to shit too much specifically on 2010's Kotaku, but like this this sucks and it doesn't get much better from site to site. Uh, like I like the fucking Escapist was one of them, and that that the Escapist is just a fucking Gamergate rag. Yeah. It paints a picture of a journalistic body that is completely unprepared to hold anyone accountable for anything, let alone something on the scale of, like, things that were going to happen in 2014. It was honestly quite grim to read a lot of. Uh, Rockstar finally released a comment that was full of it. Quote, Unfortunately, this is the case of people taking the opinions of a few anonymous posters on message boards as fact. Almost like, almost like journalistic outlets had given them a PR spin to just fucking run with. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. No business is ever perfect, but Rockstar Games is a tight-knit team made up of around 900 supremely talented and motivated professionals, many of whom have worked here for a very long time. We're saddened if any former members of a studio did not find their time here enjoyable or creatively fulfilling, and blah, 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 blah. We've always cared cared passionately about the people working here and have always tried to maintain a supportive creative environment. There is simply no way Rockstar could continue to produce such a large-scale, high-quality games without this. By the way, that, that implicit thing of, like, they're not directly refuting any claims. They're just like, we're sorry. Thanks, Window Defender. We're sorry that they had a bad time. So they're not like directly being like, they're lying. Cause then, then that would be, I guess, like actionable in a court of law. But they're like, we're sorry they had a bad time. And the environment that we've created here that they partook in maybe didn't work out for them, but we need it to make the games for you. That being said, making great games is very challenging, which is why we have and will continue to try to keep hold of some of the best talent in the industry and support them in every way we can. That's nothing. That means nothing. That that, that does not directly address a single one of the claims uh, and not the content of any of them. It doesn't say anything specific about the internal culture. It's just supportive. That doesn't mean anything. Like, like later, I'm going to get to... 
like specific things that companies can or do do to uh, ameliorate crunch. Mm-hmm. That piece ends with the following from the reporter of the story. The company's comments on its official site today may not have addressed the specifics of the alleged mandatory six-day work weeks, 12-hour work days, and health risks at Rockstar San Diego, but it's clear that the makers of some of the biggest games in the world prefers it to be known that it wants its employees happy no matter how hard making games is. That's not journalism. That's PR. They go, I, yeah. I, they, I know that they didn't actually address any of their claims, but they seem really nice. Like, what are... What are we doing here? What's the fucking point of journalism if you're not going to hold people accountable? Ugh. It's especially bad because Rockstar has been ignoring, had been repeatedly ignoring repeated requests to comment officially to sites like these. It is weird that you would write something like this about a company that you owe nothing to, one that, that you should be holding accountable, that is ignoring your request for comment. That's fucking weird. It's very weird. One last quote. An internal email leaked addressing the claims, and even in that email, the, per the person obliquely addressed that, quote, things have been hard recently. The author of that piece of fucking shit journalism finished it by saying, quote, he said, she said, it's why we have courts, people. Are you fucking kidding me? Jesus, Lord. Yeah, like, and I and I want to make clear, my point is not that Kotaku sucks. Like that, like I do genuinely think that progress has been made, um, and that there are a lot of people who write for that site now who have good opinions about labor. Not all of them, um, but that you know the the past should still be critiqued. It doesn't make it bad journalism, and it's wholly like it is wholly contributing to the reason that like things suck now. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Then, on January 11th, Rockstar lays off their Midnight Club development staff. So, like, literally, like, a week after the Rockstar Spouse thing. And, and all this fucking garbage journalism that's like, they're, no, they're good to the people who work for them. They didn't want to get paid for their labor. Yeah, they laid off their whole Midnight Club development staff, outsourcing development. So, the issue was not that they couldn't afford the labor. It's that they didn't want to pay for it. So, yeah. they just killed all those jobs. This was, of course, done to focus resources on Red Dead Redemption, which was also in development at the time. It is released in May of 2010 and becomes a critical and commercial success. It would sell 13 million copies by July of 2013. Despite the resounding success of the project, 40 of the 180-person team is laid off. What the fuck? Like, and by the way, I think that Red Dead Redemption is a bad video game and was not was not worth whatever hell these people had to work through so that way they could make some fucking completely boilerplate western it's it's few good qualities can't overcome it's like nothing wafer satire by february of 2011 the team size had dropped to 128 it should also be noted that similar accusations of mismanagement are leveled in january involving the development of max Payne 3 but the news cycle just happened to be focused on red dead but yeah he said she said mm -hmm. uh, i'm glossing over things here in the interest of time but suffice to say things don't improve there's also a big labor scandal involving la noir which is more uh, directly involved with take two but take two and rockstar are take two is like rockstar's publisher yeah um but the like very like like the the same hands are in in the these same pies hands, yeah. yeah and they're in all these pies uh yeah you know mostly silence on the part of rockstar they're not particularly vocal or open with the games press on the, until they've got a game to sell likely because they have such shitty labor practices and don't want to be open about it 
Don't trust game studios that are like, we just want to keep our process secret so we don't give out our magic. Anyone who creates things knows that's a bullshit lie. Cut to October. Hype is building for Red Dead Redemption 2, and they begin to run the press rounds to the game, releasing details, etc. They brag about horse testicles that react to weather, which, why? No one cares. Who, Nobody needs who that. Could possibly, who possibly gives a shit? Gamers will go, that's cool, and then forget the second that they play the game. It's not cool, so it's unnecessary. You know, like, like movies aren't... Hey, hey, everybody. Movies aren't real either. That's the fucking point. Like, it doesn't need to perfectly mimic reality. Jesus Christ. If you listen to this show, uh, you've likely seen the uh, Vulture profile that made the rounds on October 14th. Suffice to say, it's a breathless, doting PR piece for the Housers, Dan and Sam. Uh, the part that everyone's seized upon, however, is a quote where Dan Hauser plainly states that they were working 100-hour weeks. Like, he just says that. That's a little over 14 hours a day, by the way, seven days a week. Yep. That's unfucking believable And if it's a five-day work week, that's, uh, like, what, um... That's you're left with five hours a day. It's twenty like, hours a day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as many have pointed out, uh, that that figure is not a totally uncommon practice in the games industry. This level of cartoonish uh, labor abuse is actually like fairly common practice. It's called crunch. Uh, and also, like, I'm focusing on AAA here, but I would like to just make mention that this also does happen in indie. It is it is a it is not just about size and scale. It is also about like culture and work culture, which is I mean, like the answer is partly i think to make smaller games but like it is it is largely a managerial issue yeah. not a not an issue of like product i mean it's both i don't want to i don't want to weigh one against the other that's not fair uh hauser sought to clarify the <laughs> clarify the 100 hour work week quote but the i mean the genie's sort of out of the bottle it contains his his clarification, quote unquote, uh, contains a lot of the language of crunch, things like passion, and no one's forced to work those hours. But like, crunch is more of a, is, is also a systemic, it, it's more than just a systemic enforcement. It is a, it is a culture of overwork. It, it Just because it's not an explicit directive doesn't mean that it's not workplace pressure. And also things like, hey, We've scheduled you for overtime. You don't have to work those hours. Let us know. Like, like people people feel pressured to do that work because you because you don't want to say no to your boss because they hold all power over you. And uh, I, I'm gonna get to it later, but like uh, at will employment also comes into play. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I like like to give a to give another like a a broader analogy that's not just like in the games industry or labor like. My partner and I explicitly discussed what we want to do for our anniversary gift-wise, and we came to the conclusion that we didn't want to do gifts. If we hadn't, we like we might have done it. We might not have. It would have been a little weird because there are because there are cultural norms that like oh you get you, on your anniversary you do something you get a gift or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, and and we've decided to do something that is not gift giving, um, and and that's like. I don't think the giving like gifts for anniversaries is like problematic like labor abuse, but it's it's just like an analogy to communicate like unspoken pressure that can push people towards certain behaviors and and sometimes those behaviors are unhealthy crunch. Rockstar tried to counter as well by having employees at Rockstar North, the one in Scotland, i.e. not Rockstar San Diego, the one that Hauser works at, the one he was referring to in the 100 hour quote, uh, by having those employees be like, oh no, like it's great working here. We love working at Rockstar. 
like how fucking stupid do they think we are you know really dumb they think we're very stupid also they thought we cared about the constriction of horse <laughs> testicles my friend also scotland unlike the u.s does not have at will employment meaning that you can't just fire people without establishing just cause meaning that uh you don't feel as pressure to crunch because you i mean like because if you decide not to yeah because they can just fucking fire you and they don't have to say like why really it's uh i don't think there's really a discussion to be had here whether or not rockstar partakes in abusive labor practices it's been the subject of several lawsuits that they've settled yeah Uh, numerous former employees have attested to the crunch culture at rockstar there's all these anonymous things uh, and one of the creative leads just straight up fucking admitted to it in an interview. Like, I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck if, you're, if your company is, like, mandatory 14 hours a day. Uh, if you are working 100-hour weeks, that's crunch, and that's a problem, and you need to stop. Like, you need to stop that. I don't give a fuck if it's mandatory or not. That's crunch, and you can't fucking lie and say it's not. I think the reaction has largely been good with devs sharing their stories of crunch, condemning it, and also, like, bringing in... I Like, I'm trying to bring in all, as many different angles to it as I can, but it is an incredibly complex issue, mm-hmm. and, like, uh, it is something that I myself have not had, like, really, really uh, intense experience with in the games industry. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that we gotta do. Uh, we gotta rethink, you know, deadlines, like some of these uh, a, a, perhaps a certain reporter featured earlier in this story was on twitter uh even though he was like not happy about these labor practices was also like why isn't spider-man's dlc out yet they promised it then and it's like dude it's not ready you stop this. also you have a platform like a <laughs> you have a platform you're a journalist like you need to don't turn the fucking screws right now you know Ugh. uh so there's that it's also time to push for more concrete anti-crunch policies uh, at my place of employment we have a 10 hour ot limit per bi-weekly pay period that's fucking huge yeah that's really bad and and while uh and i like i don't really want to like get into my opinions about uh crunch at that at the place that i work at um obviously we did we were in crunch recently it was just for a month that's that's not the norm you know like yeah, most things lucky. are are months 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 at a time uh and and i am at a i'm lucky enough to be working at a, a place of employment horizon in the, in zero the, dawn 2 studios yeah you don't that, that's the name of the studio you're not making horizon zero dawn 2 and uh in the games industry that i think has like taken really concrete steps to avoid crunch even yeah. though sometimes just by the nature of of our work uh we do dip into that you know uh and, uh, and like that's that's the exception like i've been working there for a while one month crunch wasn't that bad it's not uh, and, it, and it was never and it was never ever even remotely approaching anything as fucking bad as a hundred hours a week that's so bad i think max and like not getting into it i think max probably 60 to 70 also i get to work from home a lot of these people don't yeah um fucking unionized gang get a bargaining chip at the table do it and do not buy red dead redemption 2 don't fucking buy it we're not back in history class did you ever take a step back from that textbook you were reading and just think to yourself man these people are very dumb hi my name is eric mcadams and i have a podcast for you 
It's called Big Time Whoopsies, and every other Wednesday on the Major Cast Network, I tell a guest, and you the listener, a story from history involving massive incompetence. Big Time Whoopsies. People are dumb, and history can prove it. Uh, in ancient China, mm-hmm. the Emperor Huangdi in 269 BC is described as a famous general who, after becoming China's leader, wrote lengthy treatises on medicine, astrology, or sorry, treatises on medicine, astrology, and the martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would become the foundation of Chinese martial arts and then uh, later on Asian uh, martial arts in general. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there are literally over 50 different styles from all sorts of countries. Um, so I'm not going to get into specifics, but during the warring state period of Chinese history, which was 480 to 221 BC, mm-hmm. that's a long period that's for states to be warring. My goodness. <laughs> uh, extensive development in martial philosophy and strategy emerged as described by, uh, Sun Tzu. I, for some reason, looked at that word and my brain was like, you don't know how to pronounce this, but I do. It's very simple. Yeah, Art of War. Uh, yeah, in his book, The Art of War. Uh, legendary accounts link the origin of Shaolin Kwan to the spread of Buddhism from India during the early 5th century AD uh, with the figure oh, I should have looked up how to pronounce this one it's the one I didn't look up um, Bodhidharma I would imagine Bo- Bodhidharma Bodhidharma, Bodhidharma yeah. to China uh, written evidence of martial arts in southern India uh, dates all the way back to uh, Sangam literature about the 2nd century BC to 2nd century AD um and martial arts didn't really take off until about 1,970 years later in the 1970s, uh, AD, 1970 AD, not to be confused with the 70s BC, mm-hmm. where um, it was pretty much the exact same. <laughs> Everything about the 70s. Identical. It was completely identical. It's this weird, weird, this weird 10-year period before Christ where all of a sudden <laughs> all this modern stuff happened. Um in the 70s, the martial arts uh, had a significant industry boom, both as a sport, but also uh, in uh, televised sports, so like there was money in it, and then also in movies. Even though the first use of martial arts in a Western film was 1955 in, Spen- in a Spencer Tracy movie called Bad Day at Black Rock. Um, but before that, martial arts and film had been around in asian american cinema since oh you know the beginning of asian Amer- uh, sorry asian cinema i don't know why i said asian american cinema <laughs> just asian cinema yeah uh during the 70s and 80s the most visible presence of martial arts films were the hundreds of english dubbed uh, english dubbed kung fu and ninja films produced by the shaw brothers godfrey ho and other hong kong producers uh these are movies that were made from anywhere to like the 30s to the 60s that were just redubbed and Mm -hmm. put on american television on the weekends yeah uh and also in grindhouse theaters all across the country um hong kong is like the epic center of martial arts films uh or at least from 1970s to the mid 90s with the rise of bruce lee but in the 90s it kind of hits a stale point and just kind of goes away and then in 1994, the Wachowski sisters present the script for a film called Assassins to Warner Brothers Pictures. Uh, their producer, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, the president of the production company at the time, he reads the script and he gives them a three-picture deal of Assassins, Bound, and a little film called The Matrix. 
the Wachowskis directed Bound. They I don't think they directed Assassins, but Bound was a big hit, so they were able to be like, hey, we can make The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Producer Joel Silver joins the project. Uh, it was still a huge investment. Uh, cost over $60 million. Uh, they were really worried because the movie had, this is not really my opinion, but deep phil- a deep philosophical background and, and bedrock, I guess, <laughs> yeah. and this kind of worried them. Matrix is very... <laughs> I, not true, actually. The Matrix is is de- is deeply, deeply dealing in, like, oh, ideas of, well, of being and, and personhood that, that are rooted in, in philosophy. A lot of philosophy. Uh, they, instead of a, like, full-on script, they hired two comic book artists, Jeff Darrow and Steve Scroshi, to draw a 600-page shot-by-shot storyboard of the entire film. And this is actually what got them funding the cast had to read simulacra and the simulation um keanu reeves had to read that as well as out of control and dylan ovens introducing evolutionary psychology and this was before he was allowed to read the script no man that's awesome uh and eventually he was able to explain all the philosophical nuance involved i bet he fucking loved it too probably the directors had also been admired the directors uh, the Wachowskis. I just love. I love saying their name. It's such a fun name. The Wachowskis have also been huge fans of Hong of of the previously mentioned Hong Kong action cinema, so they decided to hire Chinese martial arts choreographer and film director uh, Yuan Wu Ping to work on the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. He trained the actors in Wire Fu. Uh, they had a four month training schedule, and at first he was really optimistic, and then he realized that the actors were incredibly unfit for Wire Fu. So. He worked with them individually mm. to showcase their strengths. Uh, he built on Reeves' diligence, Fishburne's resilience, Weaving's precision, and Carrie Ann Moss's grace. I just love that. That's fun. It's fun, isn't it? Uh, That's so fascinating too. To just to like, I I today watched an incredibly good, just like Eco Oase uh, choreographed yeah. the movie uh, The Night Comes for Us, and just like. It's so interesting to see how uh, uh, actors or actresses' physicality can like dictate the the content of a fight in a scene and just how that plays out. And I fucking man, that shit is so fucking cool to me. Uh, Reeves got really hurt during training, but still, you know, would go. So because uh, he's diligent, he's very diligent. Um, he would do a lot of lighter upper body moves and it's why he doesn't really kick in the movie because he didn't learn because oh. he, uh, he was hurt so he couldn't really do any lower body stuff uh, all of the martial arts sequences in the movies were inspired um, specifically by a movie called Fist of Legend uh, starring Jet Li with that uh, Yuan Wing Pu worked on as a choreographer so the Matrix is huge. It leads to two sequels, and one of the sequels requires a new character. And the Wachowskis, inspired by Fist of Legend, approached uh, Lee Lianje, or sorry, yeah, Lianje, also known as Jet Li. Uh, he was off- offered the part of Seraph, originally offered to Michelle Yeoh, but then they uh, rewrote to be a male character. Mm. Uh, this is uh, Jet Li's response to that. It was a commercial struggle for me. I realized the Americans wanted me to film for three months, but be with the crew for nine. And for six months, they wanted to record and copy all of my moves into a digital library. Mm. By the end of rec- of the recording, the rights to these moves would go to uh, them. What? 
Lee did not want to sell his martial arts moves to be used and repurposed by others in the future, so he made the decision not to play Sarah. Oh, wow. This is... That's so... That's, like... Uh, that's such a fascinating... I'd never considered that before about, like... I, it's not. It's not quite automation but it is it is like a level of it's his intellectual property yeah like his and 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 in doing that he can't i mean he can't then continue to like sell that uh, that labor that he has put into those moves and stuff by helping train or choreograph that's fuck man so wow. i looked into it and the screen actors guild has a bit of a precedent over perf copywriting performances mm -hmm. uh there was a case in 2014 when an actress named cindy garcia she she was in a, a movie that isn't particularly good but her performance was causing a lot of people to send her death threats because of her portrayal of a muslim woman mm -hmm. uh for islamophobia and she just wanted it all to be taken down and google wouldn't and she was like, well, it's my intellectual property, so you kind of have to. And they were like, well, that's not true. So SAG went to bat for her. Okay. Um, basically, SAG said that an actor can indeed have a copyrightable interest in performance that's separate and apart from interest anyone else holds in the motion picture. To qualify for copyright, a work has to be an original work of authorship, plus be fixed in tangible medium of expression. Uh, rather than go through this rigmarole of trying to maintain the copyright of his the movement of his own body, Jet Li just decided to not do the movie. And that makes me think that, one, this has happened to him before. I also would feel super duper uncomfortable working with people who were like, so can we, can we like... Record your movement. Can we, can we make you obsolete? And then, and, and then to like, even if they walked that back, I would feel very uncomfortable being around that. Well, the second thing that it makes me think of was I 100% absolutely believe that Wich the Wachowskis would hang on to six months of Jet Li's yeah. movement to yeah. repurpose into you know they use a lot of cgi and a lot of technology that would flow into that so it made a lot of sense to me that you wouldn't want to do that but who's to say i would hope that they would if they were to do that would rightfully compensate lee in some way yeah because it sounds like he's gotten screwed over from this something like this before um so that that i just thought that was that interview that's came out fascinating. today uh but that yeah, that's why he wasn't in the matrix was he was afraid to lose uh the copyright to his body movement. that's frightening actors are lucky because they have something that all industries have which is a vocal and reliable union that holds award shows every year for how great they are uh so unionize and don't copyright people's bodies you weirdos it, what's the what's the precedent then for like it's like carrie fisher or oh uh what's his fuck grand moff tarkin because they're because they're so they're not but... I, that that's what it is but they're at those points it's specifically about the character and not the performance because uh those actors uh, yeah i guess i guess that's different i guess that is weird. slightly different from like okay so you're gonna punch like this guy versus like this is what we've decided to recast or whatever yeah this is more like we're going to huh, take that's interesting the to think about movement of an autonomous being and put it into a, uh, you a know, digital like a library so that way we can pull from it make when this we kangaroo think do his movements that would be and i mean like i mean like and the logical conclusion from that too is like i i feel it's some like algorithmic bullshit where they where they have an algorithm pull from a list of kung fu moves or whatever whatever the style is um and then uh, wushu and then uh, pull from. Oh, I I just meant like kung fu oh, movies. Just, jet, just jet, generally jet, martial jet arts. Jet Li does wushu. Yeah. Um, and then like 
we live in the age of the algorithm like i feel like they would algorithm out like a fight scene or whatever which just is weird yeah it's i and i guarantee you it would be soulless it would just be awkward and oh man it would be the 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 robot marionette of like oh these actors are gonna do these 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 stuntmen these these stage fighters are gonna perform a scene choreographed by a robot using moves from a real human being fuck me wow great fucking story man uh so yeah sometimes we talk about bummer stuff and other times we talk about the fucking singularity that's soon approaching and all all entertainment will be an autonomous machine uh we have to balance that out with something positive i'm called the self-care corner i'm gonna start i made my mom's matzo ball soup today and it fucking took me home man hell yeah it's delicious Mm. take me away well i'm not gonna say your mom's name (laughs) yeah i appreciate i appreciate that it's, it's Dennis Rodman. Um, that's her name. She's not Dennis Rodman. It's just a coincidence. Dennis Rodman Sr. Yep. Um, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman Sr. Nay McGillicuddy. Um, my self care corner. Um, ah, you know what? I've been I've been writing more. I uh, it's been a minute since I've written about anything really. Uh, but I've just caught that bug again. And uh, you can read it over on nakedcriticism.com. There are two pieces that I put up recently. One called Spider-Man Isn't Funny. And it's uh, talking about the newest Spider-Man game. It's not like a, you know, cops are bad take. Or a puddle take. Um, But it's, but it's, (laughs) yeah, yikes. Um, Though I, I do definitely try to make mention of that. But it's, it's me like kind of musing on the like structural way that, spider-man approaches comedy and and the problems with that character and the, the, that style of game um and, and the other piece is has called to do with this yeah it's it's about crunch and it's called give every game 10 out of 10 do it do it hey if you want to know why i think that and read how that's related to crunch read the piece my friends um but i'm very proud of those pieces and i feel nice writing again uh listen to the podcast email the email sonic's feet all the things yep you know what to do We've said it before. Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com at Media Majors Cast on Twitter. We love you. We'll be there for you. Bye! Bye.